You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Fights like an old lady. Back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to look ahead to the uh, playoff picture in Hockey East, uh, and that, of course, means it's a campus report segment brought to you by College Hockey Inc. Uh, if you are a player, or you have one in your family, and you ha- need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your NCAA eligibility. Well, College Hockey Inc. is a great resource and a good place to start. You can contact Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and they can uh, steer you in the right direction and answer some of the questions that you might have. That's College Hockey Inc. Uh, all right, let's get to uh, my guest. Uh, of course, is Jimmy Connolly uh, from USCHO. James, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Uh, Guy, it's always good to be back. Uh, I'm doing well, doing well as we get to the end of the season. It's just uh, a crazy ending yet again in Hockey East. I don't know why, but I've never called you James before. Has does anybody <laughs> does anybody call you James? My mother does when I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, you're not in trouble with me, man. That uh, it's always a treat when you're on the show. Uh, and the hockey's playoff picture right now, I guess it's it's kind of uh, figured out. I, I think basically there's only one scenario. Uh, I mean, there's eight teams that make it in, right? And there's nine that are kind of still eligible to make it in. It's just whether New Hampshire can capture can uh, catch. Uh, Northeastern, and that kind of looks unlikely, would you say? I don't know. Um, you know, the, you know, Northeastern and BU, they're going to play a two-game series against one another this weekend, so there's nothing easy there. And uh, New Hampshire, they already beat Boston College once this year, so it's really four teams are playing for the final three spots because uh, Providence, BU, Northeastern, and New Hampshire all have not clinched their spots. Now, I feel like Providence should feel pretty safe. Be, you know, they have one game left. They can they get a, a win or a tie in that game they're in. Uh, they lose it, then they need New Hampshire to sweep Boston College uh, and a few other things to happen for them to be knocked out. So they probably feel pretty good. But uh, and you can maybe say the same thing for BC, uh, BU. But if you know they get swept by Northeastern, New Hampshire sweeps BC, they're not in. So it, it I think you're right. It does come down to Northeastern and New Hampshire as the two teams that are probably the most likely. And the way Northeastern has been playing lately, it just has not been good. They obviously this past weekend went up to Vermont, uh, a team that had not won a single game coming into the weekend. They have been eliminated from the playoffs for almost a month now. And uh, they got swept. Vermont picks up their first two hockey wins of the season. So I just don't think, you know, Northeastern's playing without Tyler Madden. That's a pretty big name player. Uh, who's been injured for about three plus weeks now. Um, so I, you know, they, they're searching for something and they, they're going to play a very tough BU opponent that BU is not lo- looking just for, you know, get, earning that playoff spot, but BU too can get into a home ice position right now. So they're trying to scratch for that. So there'll be a lot of hunger in that uh, battle of the two dogs this weekend, uh, BU and Northeastern. And it's, it's always a great rivalry and to, to put something on the line with it in the last weekend of the season makes it even better. Since the Beanpot victory, Northeastern hasn't really had a lot of success. You talked about that sweep against Vermont. They also got crushed 10-1 against Boston College, and that had to have been a, a statement game for uh, for uh, the, the Eagles as well. Uh, but what is wrong with Northeastern other than the injury to Tyler Madden? Uh, for some reason, I think that's affecting them a lot. Uh, I watched the first game of that Boston College series. It was a Thursday night uh, game. And Northeastern lost that one 3-2, and I left that game saying they didn't even lose that game 3-2. It just didn't feel that close. BC had kind of given it away a little bit at the end. They hadn't 
you know, really completed the, the victory. They, they didn't have a good third period. I think Jerry York was frustrated. And whatever he lit under his, what, the fi- whatever fire he lit under his team, they just took it to Northeastern the next night. As you mentioned, a 10-1 victory. And at that point for Northeastern, you're probably sitting there not just looking your wounds. Like that was one that obviously they weren't able to just put it in the rearview mirror and, and move on and say that it was just one bad night. I think they understood that they had just had back-to-back poor performances. And you know, I think it carried into Vermont last week. And, and listen, Vermont, their players had so much pride on the line. You know, you've got a pretty good senior class there, a big senior class, that that was their last weekend at home. You know you're playing your coach's last games because Kevin Snedden's contract is not going to be renewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, there was just so much, I think, on the line for Vermont that it became a perfect storm for Northeastern. Their lack of confidence. Vermont's hunger, it gave them two losses in a series that really they should have taken four points. All right, Jimmy, let's look at the uh, the hockey's playoffs. And right now, is there a team – how many teams don't have to win the playoffs in the conference to qualify for the uh, uh, for the national tournament? Uh, I think when I look at it, what is there four that are safe, maybe five? Um, not really. No, I don't I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. The thing that I think is the most important for every team, Boston College and UMass, Boston College is in. UMass is so close to being in, you might let's just call them in for for argument's sake. Um for UMass Lowell and for Maine, I think that for either of those teams to get in, the necessary thing will be advancing past the quarterfinal round. And two losses in a quarterfinal round will affect their RPI enough. They'll drop in the pairwise, mm-hmm. most likely be out of the NCAA picture. So, and then you throw in uh, Providence and Northeastern that have kind of been around that bubble for a lot this year, and Northeastern now on on the wrong side after last weekend. Um, and Providence is definitely need, has a lot to make up. I think that Northeastern could win their quarterfinal series if, you know, assuming they make the playoffs where we've just gone over the fact that they might miss the playoffs, but they could win their quarterfinal series, I believe, and probably uh, advance as well. But now we're talking about three teams that have to win quarterfinal series. One of them is probably going to be eliminated. So what my guess is there'll probably be either three or four hockey East teams in the NCAA field. And the last team out from Hockey East will probably be one of the teams that did not advance to the Garden, advance to the Conference semifinals. Timmy Connolly from USCHO is my guest. Why isn't Providence better? They've got the two of the top scorers in the in, in all of Division One. Um, but I guess listen, we talked about Tyler Madden, and one guy can make such a, a big difference. Is is Providence? Are they a two-player team? Is you know, as they go as far as those two guys can carry them? Um, I, I don't think that that's a, a totally the best assessment because I think that they're a little bit better than two players, but obviously Tice Thompson and Jack Dugan have put up some pretty big numbers right now, but they, they both, I don't want to say calmed a little bit. They haven't been as prominent, uh, of late. They both are still grabbing some points here and there. Uh, but their first half of the season, each of them was just outstanding. I think. I was looking at it as they could be the number one and number two candidates for the Hobie Baker Award. Hmm. That has changed. I don't even know if either one of them is really in the picture to make the Hobie hat trick. Maybe uh, Dugan ends up leading the nation in points, and it's hard to ignore that. But, um, you know, he's a playmaker. Tyce Thompson's a goal scorer. They don't play on the same line together. I haven't really taken a good look at their line charts over the last couple of games to see if Nate uh, Lehman has kind of caved a little bit and finally put them together. Because what they do together on the power play is pretty magical. 
That said, I just I can't explain what some of their obstacles have been. They just, at times they don't seem to be playing well. Um, I don't know if goaltending is a factor. You know, they got the transfer goaltender from Harvard, Michael Lackey, and he's got a lot of play this year. And I don't know if that could have been a factor that's worn on him a little. You know, he's they've had some great goaltenders go through there. Obviously, John Gillies comes to mind as one of the best. Um, it, it, it's hard to know if if as as well as Lackey's played at times, if he has that ability to steal games and be that goaltender that that Nate Lehman needs him to be. So. It's a hard question to answer, and I, I don't think even Nate Lehman has the answer at this point. What he's hoping is that his, you know, his team can play a good game this week against Maine, put themselves in better position, and maybe advance to the Garden. That's that's really their only chance right now is to find a way to advance to the Garden, get some confidence back, and maybe just maybe squeak into the NCAA tournament. Well, and the opposite for me, I, Providence for me is a, a bit of a surprise that they're not better or they haven't been better than they are. But Connecticut and Maine are, are surprises, for me at least, the opposite direction. They're uh, sitting fourth and fifth right now in the conference uh, and doing it kind of without a whole lot of star power. So what is it about those two clubs that uh, led to success this year? How are they getting it done? Maine's got a couple of good forwards. They're probably a, a very good two-line team. I don't think they have a lot of depth past their second line, but Jeremy Swayman and Nett is fantastic. And I don't know if he'll sneak into the Hobie Baker voting, um, to maybe qualify as a top 10, he probably deserves to because he has carried this team. I, I think I looked at it. He, he definitely is one of the top goaltenders in, in the country in numbers of saves that he's had to make this season. Um, so that always kind of stands out to me when you're, yeah, I, I think it's, it's well over a thousand saves he's made thus far in his 30, 33 games. Mm-hmm. So, but he's played every minute for them, I, I believe, maybe a couple of mop up minutes and some backup stuff, but he's been really their, their go to guy. For Connecticut, I think they're finally getting some of the production that they knew that they could have. They've had, you know, you might, there's a few names you'll know on that roster. Alexander Pyasov, Ruslan Ishakov, um, Yakin Kondalik, um, and then a freshman Vladimir Firstoff has gotten a lot of ink. But Ben Freeman and Carter Turnbull are the two players I think that Mike Cavanaugh knew that he had in his lineup that if they started to play better, they would be a very dangerous team. And, and here they are final weekend of the regular season, knowing that if they win a game on Friday, it's all likelihood they're going to get a home ice position. Uh, that's, uh, you know, they, UConn in their history in hockey East has never gotten home ice in the quarterfinals. So this is, this is a potential big step. The other player that I didn't mention that I probably shouldn't uh, overlook is their goaltender, Tomas Romachka, who has, been inconsistent this season, but when I looked at his stats over the last uh, month and a half, his goals against is down in the low twos and his save percentage is in the 920. So those numbers have improved. When you look at his overall season, he's over three in goals against and his save percentage below 900. So he's had a really good last month and a half, and I think that's what's really propelled UConn up the standings and, and put them in a position that you know, heading into the last week in the season, they could make some big noise in this conference. Now the Riverhawks from uh, UMass Lowell, uh, looks like they're led by a goaltender as well in Tyler Wall, a senior who's got a 930 save percentage this year. When it comes to offense, they only got one guy who scored over 10 goals. That'd be Carl Berglund. Everybody else is well under 10 goals. Uh, so this, this is a team I'm guessing they're winning a lot of 2-1 games. Yeah, I, um, I don't want to get the stat wrong, but I believe their one goal win 
on Saturday night against New Hampshire was their 23rd or 24th one-goal game they played this season out of 33. So I think it's 23 out of 33 have been one-goal games. Um, they've been on both sides of that, obviously, and they've had a lot of ties in there. I think uh, six ties overall. But that's, this is a team that likes to play in the tight games. Maybe they don't like to, but they don't seem to be able to close out games and make them two or three goal games. They've just been in, in one of those situations. And you nailed it right in the head. Tyler Wall has carried this team this year. He is um, as strong as he's been in his four years at Lowell. Of course, as a freshman, he set you know almost every goaltending record uh, in the school's history and you know was within an overtime goal of the Frozen Four. Then he had a slump as a sophomore. Started to rebuild as a junior, but, you know, another uh, goaltender, Chris Hernberg, had kind of materialized as a starter, so they ended up splitting more time last year. As a senior, he has taken the ball and run with it, and he has played phenomenal. He's another one that I kind of throw into that category with Swayman. Probably should get some people's look for Hobie Baker. If, you, if you're going to be thinking about who deserves a, a goaltender from Hockey East that deserves to be in the Hobie Baker race, I think certainly, you know, both Swayman and Wall, you can maybe even throw Spencer Knight in there as well. I mean, all three of them have played just fantastic. It's been a very good year for goaltending in Hockey East. Uh, but then you look out at Minnesota State and Dryden McKay, and you look at Cornell and McElider, and you say, how are these guys not going to be in the Hobie race? So it, it'll be a very tough to, to get any of these goaltenders in in Hockey East for a Hobie Baker nod, but they all certainly deserve it. All right, we'll get to the Hobie in a second. Two more teams I want to touch on, though, uh, the uh, Minutemen. Uh, this is a team, again, they lose guys, but they keep plugging away and they keep they keep winning. This is the, the second-best team statistically in, in Hockey East. Uh, and uh, and tell me about what you – when you look at this roster, uh, what stands out to you and their legitimate uh, shot to win the conference? No doubt. And uh, the fact that John Leonard – who has just turned it on in the second half of the year for them and one of the top scorers in the nation over the last uh, couple of months. He's been a hat-trick machine. I believe he has two or three in the last uh, month alone. Uh, now after 27 goals, he's leading the country. He's he's a big part of the story. Uh, Mitchell Chafee has been excellent, but I don't know what his status is. The last two weekends he's missed with injury, so mm. that's a big part of it. But it's it's also the reload. You know, you mentioned you lose guys like Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, and you can't replace those players, but you can put good players in. And you've seen Mark Del Geiser take a really good step forward as a, a sophomore. Uh, Jake McLaughlin is a senior. He's been a very good stay-at-home, reliable defenseman who can throw in a few goals here and there. And then Zach Jones came in. He was a highly touted freshman. He's been everything that they expected. He does a great job on their power play. And I think some of the freshman class has also at the forward position just been able to find ways to to produce. And all of that combined, I think, has been very positive for this UMass team. Now, they have been a little less consistent over the last five weeks. Um, and, you know, the big part of it is, has been letting slip third-period leads. Um, they had one two Fridays ago at UMass Lowell and gave up a tying goal with about six, seven minutes left, and then their goaltender, who Matt Murray, who's been solid all year, both of their goaltenders, Philly Lindbergh as well, um, he just gets caught not paying attention. He lost his goal stick and he was trying to get it back. Next thing, his shot goes in the net and he wasn't paying attention. Last week against uh, UConn, uh, UMass had a two-goal lead with 91 seconds left and lost. So uh, 
they, they, they've both Saturday nights, they've had good responses and find, found ways to win on the back end of each of those two series. But you do worry that this team hasn't played its best hockey for the last six weeks. That is one thing that, as you know, in the playoffs, that can catch up with you. Do you go with two goalies, uh, the two goalie system in the playoffs, or do you think they'll uh, uh, pick one guy and kind of ride him? That's a really good question. I mean, I think last year they, they rode Lindbergh a little bit more yeah. uh, than Murray. Uh, this year, Murray kind of has the better numbers. But, you know, the, the one thing I can say about Greg Carvel is he has very good instincts about his goaltenders. He also has a quick hook. And he's a uh, coach that if he sees, he loves having the two goaltenders because if he sees anything that just looks out of place for a goaltender in the first 15 minutes of the game, boom, pull him and, and put somebody else in. Um, and that, that he's, uh, he's done that recently in the, the Lowell game was one of them. He pulled Lindbergh despite the fact that it was a 1-1 game. He pulled Lindbergh because he had let his first two shots in. One goal was disallowed, but he didn't care. He didn't think Lindbergh looked good. Murray went in and, and, you know, finished out the game and it looked like a brilliant move until they ended up losing that game. But, um, still, I, I don't, I don't feel like he wants to dedicate himself to one goaltender. I know that's usually the formula to success in a playoff, but I just don't feel like that's Greg Carville's personality. He doesn't feel the need to do that. Let's put it that way. All right. The other, the last team to talk about is Boston College. They are the, uh, the top team right now. Uh, in the conference, and uh, they seem to be clicking down the stretch here for sure. Uh, guys have really turned it on. Alex Newhook, now the uh, top freshman in, in scoring in the country, and uh, Matt Boley is having a terrific. Well, the last month he's been on fire uh, for the uh, for the Eagles. They seem to be getting hot at the right time of year. How do you assess the play of the the uh, the Eagles right now? Yeah, it's very much a a typical Jerry York team from like the 2008 through 2012 era where. They won three national championships, and every year you got to this time of year, and they were playing well, and they were getting past the quarterfinals. They were getting to the garden. They were winning hockey's championships. They were getting to pros and fours. This is what Jerry York, I think, is almost accustomed. Uh, seeing some of his players have good seasons, and you can you look at his uh, older players like uh, Greco and uh, Julius Matula and David Cotton, but then you have some of those freshmen. You just mentioned Matt Boldy. Alex Newhook, I believe, is the leading scorer in the month of February for the uh, entire nation. Um, and then back end, you've got a good goaltender. That's always been part of the BC formula. And Spencer Knight uh, came in highly touted. He's been everything that they thought he would be. 22 wins at this point and a goal is against average under two. I mean, he, he'll be up for a lot of awards. Uh, obviously, probably gets in the Richter conversation, probably gets in the uh, – I'm uh, sorry, he gets in the Hobie conversation, probably gets in the Richter conversation, uh, might even be Rookie of the Year, although I think Newhook is now making it a much tighter race for Rookie of the Year. I think Spencer Knight had my vote until a month ago, and right now it feels like it's Alex Newhook. Do you think those guys are both one and done? Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Maybe not Knight, just because of the fact that I think goaltenders develop just a tiny bit slower, but... Um, I think that Newhook has the skill, you know, if, if he wants to go, he's going to have the opportunity. Uh, I think those are the only two. I don't think that you have to worry about Boldy, despite the fact that he's had a good second half and Mike Hardman's really good too. But, I, you know, I think that Newhook has opened so many eyes of late that it'd be hard to think of him sticking around. I just don't know about Knight. You know, he was really highly, you know, touted, highly drafted, you know, in terms of where a team's going to spend on a, uh, on a goaltender, 
Um, I think that that could be what maybe will be the influence. Um, but I, I don't know. I still think that goaltenders, if they go, it's not the, not the right move because the odds are that Spencer Knight will spend a season or two in the AHL. You might as well just spend them in college. What's changed for Matt Boldy? He scored on opening night, got his second goal of the year on January 11th, and then February 10th, everything started to click for him. And now he's he had three or four three-point games uh, over the last month. What's changed? Well, I think that a lot of it's confidence. You know, and, and we talk about that so often with, with freshmen is that you, you, you just have to have that confidence, have to have that head on your shoulders that knows that going into a game, you can make a difference. And the opportunity as well, and I think he's he's played alongside New Hook for most of this time, and that's a big part of it. When New Hook's hot, so is Boldy, and, and the two of them have really been explosive. Um, you know, and, and just I, I really think it's just the ability to, to have that confidence, have that opportunity. Jerry York, you know, really liked him coming into this season, so I think he wanted to see him break out, and uh, I think it, 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 they've been mostly playing as kind of a, a three-man combo there with with uh, Hardman at times. So on all freshman lines, sometimes you just put those talented freshmen out together. And, you know, you start them with some seniors in October and November and December. Listen, if they don't gel in those situations, put them all together. And then maybe sometimes the reckless abandon of, of three really talented players can come together. And that's certainly what has happened for Boston College. Well, with the way the Eagles have been playing and some of the other teams have kind of been uh, average here the last little bit, is it hard to not pick Boston College as the team that will win the conference? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the tournament is is, is uh, funny sometimes. Just because once you get to the Garden, it's that single elimination. Mm-hmm. Um, the best of the three series, you know, typically the better team will prevail in a three-game series. But, you know, I look at some teams that have beat Boston College this year, New Hampshire being one of them, Lowell being one that, you know, went into their building and beat them. Um, you know, teams have given them tough series. I know Northeastern obviously uh, got by them at one point. You know, I, I, I look at the one-and-done scenario just makes it so difficult. And that that's the one factor, that, that kind of variable that I, I think makes it hard to really handicap any of these league tournaments. But Hockey East, where this year, this is true parity. I mean, you're talking about three weeks ago, you had nine teams that were separated by four points in the standings. Mm. And this is a, you know, a league that gives two points for a win. So it, it was, it's, it's just too tight of a year to just, you know, automatically hand them the trophy. Maybe you can say that they're favorites, but I think there's plenty of talent out there that in a single game at the Garden, they steal it. I mean, we, we saw how dominant UMass was last year. And they got into the semifinal against, I believe it was BC. And suddenly that dominance went away really quickly. And they were, you know, they were sitting out on the final Saturday and, and you know, thinking about where they were playing in the NCAA regional and, instead of playing for a championship. So it, it's, you can be dominant in this league. And yes, I, I know there's been some, some inconsistencies of teams of late, but I think that that's more about the parity of the league. And uh, it, it, it should be a really competitive postseason tournament. Jimmy, when does the uh, the Hobie Baker list get narrowed down to ten, and and then the uh, the final hat trick? Uh, it should be the the final ten will be the uh, Thursday of semifinal weekend. So I'm just looking at my calendar. That would be the uh, 19th of March. Usually in the morning they've been announcing it. Uh, so that should be your final ten. 
Uh, then uh, I'm on the committee this year. The vote happens the Monday after the NCAA regional. So that would be uh, the 30th of March. And then usually two days later than that, the Wednesday, which I think is April 1st today, this year, April Fool's Day. Uh, hopefully nobody's playing any pranks, but that's when you get the, the Hobie hat trick announced. Um, and then obviously it's presented at the Frozen Four. But uh, it's getting late early for anybody that's trying to make a Hobie run. And we've seen a lot of them in the second half here. Um, but, you know, I think I think most of the coaches probably have their minds made up. It's, of course, the first round of voting is the 60 coaches plus a fan vote, which counts for one vote. Yeah. Um, so it's really the 60 coaches. Um, I think that, that, you know, when we really look at it, that most of the minds are made up at this point. All right. Well, Jimmy, listen, I really appreciate your time. As always, great setup for the uh, playoffs in Hockey East. Uh, I know I will be calling you again before the Frozen Four. I'd love to talk to you. It's always a pleasure, Guy. Oh, Jimmy! <laughs> I've been looking forward to using that for a long time and uh, finally decided to. Uh, that's from uh, Van Halen's song, uh, Top Jimmy, uh, from uh, what was it, 1984? That that's the uh, the name of the CD or the album, uh, not the year it came out. It actually, came out in '83. Go figure. Anyway, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO, always uh, fantastic when he's on the program. Just a wealth of information and breaks it down uh, for dummies like me, so that I can easily understand and follow along. Uh, casual hockey fans, I think, that don't necessarily follow college hockey. Uh, will appreciate the, the way Jimmy can set things up as well. So always great to chat with him. Uh, coming up next, we're going to uh, head to the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. We haven't had a lot of uh, Q content on the show here over the last month or so. Well, Mike Sanderson, voice of the St. John Sea Dogs, writer with McKean's Hockey, uh, he's going to change that and uh, tell us what we've been missing and um, get us set up for the uh, the playoff push in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. That is next here on the Pipeline Show. And up comes Trankovic. He's got speed. Trankovic breakaway to the backhand. Scores! Max Trankovic is second of the season, and it's 2-1. I'm Maxim Trankovic of the St. John Sea Dogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. 